If you have your Bible with you, that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, I've never preached this text before. I'm excited to do this with you guys. Mark 5, uh, we're going to set it up in a second, but I think maybe what we need to do for a moment is get some definitions, um, because there's two words that we'll use, and we need to make sure that we're talking about the same thing. So the word guilt and shame are two different words, although, although I'm sure you've used both of these words in your life plenty. And, and, and there's an important distinction. So the word guilt has to do with when, something I feel when I violate a moral code. So if you have broken something that you knew to be morally wrong, this is the what you did. Guilt talks about the what, and it leads to you and me saying something like, I did something wrong. Or let's be clear, I did something bad. That expression right there is an example of guilt that you and I have experienced, okay? Shame is different. Shame is about not living up to an expectation that you had or someone else had, and this is about the who. And so when we feel shame, it's not I did something bad, it's I am something bad. Is anyone relating this morning? Do you know what we're talking about when we talk about shame and feeling haunted by this? This morning, we're, we're going to talk about just how paralyzing that can be. It can crush our soul Shame can warp our identities, and there's a few different causes of shame. The, the first one that stands out is really obvious is when I do something bad, and it leads to me feeling shame, right? You do something bad, it leads to you feeling shame. And if you've read the Bible, it doesn't matter if you haven't read the Bible. Even if you've just heard of the Bible, you probably recall the first few chapters of it. Adam and Eve initially experienced no shame. They were unashamed, and then by their disobedience and by dishonoring God, they feel shame. So the first cause of it can just be we do something that dishonors God. And to be really clear, to a moment, for a moment, this is a really good thing. It can be really helpful. Sometimes experiencing shame for a moment because I've just dishonored God can lead to you and me pausing. And God can use this as a redemptive step out of coldness to our sin. Have you ever felt cold to your own sin or hardened to your own sin? And God can use something like this to pull us out of it. That makes sense, doesn't it? A second cause gets really heavy. A second cause for shame could be something that was done to you or to me. And this one's really tough. This could be um, some verbal abuse, some emotional, physical, sexual abuse. You could have experienced this with uh, real poor parenting or some real foolish people in your life who did some really hard stuff. And whenever we experience something like that, it leads us saying things like, I am no good, I'm broken, I'm worthless. And if that's you in this room, I, I just want to pause a second and tell you, number one, you're welcome at PBC today. Number two, yesterday I was right here on my knees just praying for you. If you're somebody who's dealing with shame from stuff that's been done to you, I want you to know you're welcome here. And I'm confident that by the power of God's word, you could find some freedom today. The, the third way, their cause for shame that we could experience would have to do with something completely outside of our control. So this could be maybe you have a, a physical uh, disability or a mental disability, some sort of emotional disorder. This could be you and me maybe having a weakness. It could be something like infertility. It could be something that maybe you have no control over and it leads to you or I feeling ashamed. And whenever we let shame start to have its course, we start to say things in our head like, I am defective, I am broken, I am flawed, I'm ugly, I'm disgusting, I'm insignificant, I'm damaged, I am worthless. And what's so important that we catch this morning whenever, whenever we start getting into this is maybe just a language thing. You guys know I, I love language, and, and this is really important. English has a, one of our flaws in English is our, our most common and irregular verb, the to be verb. 
that we have, we only have one word for it. And so if you've studied other languages, like a, a romance language, like Spanish or Latin or French, if you've studied another language, you know how in most languages we have two words for this, this to be. So I am, in English, hungry, but I am worthless. I can feel that, right? The same word, I am, you are, can be used to describe something as small as I am tall, and it could be something to describe I am a Christian, right? The, the word is a little bit, it's a little bit flawed in English here, and yet these words can be so powerful. And you would relate this morning, if, if this morning is gonna be for you, then you're gonna relate because you've experienced what it's like to either hear this voice in your head that you made up or that someone said to you that goes something like, you are broken, you are worthless. If someone has said to you something like, you are lazy, you are stupid, you're a bad student, you are a bad mom, you are a bad dad. I'm the worst. I deserve the worst. You're the worst. You deserve the worst. If you've started to have some of those verbs in your head and you've experienced this, then my guess is you know what we're talking about when we deal with being haunted by shame. I want you to know from the very beginning, this is a subject that I am deeply and intimately acquainted with. And I hope you're still willing to listen to me when I'm willing to say from the very beginning, I'm so broken and flawed, and this is for me what we're dealing with this morning. Only in the last few years have I encountered a conversation with a little Timmy moment where someone said some you are sentences to me that destroyed me, and I, and I am still on an almost daily basis plagued by some of these sentences. This morning, there can be freedom from shame that you've experienced by the power of God's word. We have some goals at PBC. We hold high God's word and we tremble before it. And what that means is this morning, we're gonna go verse by verse through this story and we're gonna try and take God's word carefully how the author intended it to be. And so I invite you, I hope you own a Bible. If you do own a Bible, I hope you bring it. If you don't, please let us know. We wanna give you a Bible. But before we go any further, would you guys pause with me and let's just pray and ask God to speak to you and speak to me as we jump in. Uh, God, I need you badly this morning. I uh, need your, your powerful spirit to come in and speak to me and speak to my friends in this room. Would you help those of us who are coming into this holiday season and we are haunted? We find ourselves haunted by guilt or shame. God, would you, would you move in power and in love and would you help us, God? We need you. It's in your son's name. Amen. If you're in Mark 5, what we're going to do this morning is uh, we're going we're gonna to address what you may feel when you walk in. People who feel ashamed have probably said stuff to ourselves like, if only you knew the truth, right? So if only you knew what I've done, you wouldn't let me be on Alicia's team and open a door for anyone. You wouldn't let me be on Josh's team and do technology things. You wouldn't let me come to a connection group. You wouldn't let me sit in this chair if you knew this about me. And we start to get real crippled by some of these identity stuff, and we're going to talk about it. I think in this very odd text, honestly, it's odd. I, I, w- I was nervous getting into this text as we started this one. As we go through this text verse by verse... I believe that what you're going to see are really four things that are going to happen at, by the examples of the characters in the story, and I would encourage you to write them down and dwell on them and meditate on them and make these action steps in your life because the hope is that today would be a launching point for a future of peace in fighting against shame, okay? The first thing that you're going to see in this story is that we are called, if we're trying to fight against shame, if we're haunted by it, to run to Jesus with desperation, 
And this word desperation is on purpose. Look at verse 21 in Mark 5, and we're going to read just a couple as we get started. Verse 21 says this. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, so he had been on one side of a sea, he had been uh, doing some ministry, he crosses, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. And then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death, come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. Pause for a second. There's going to come a point throughout this morning where I think most likely uh, you're going to be how I've been and we're going to find some of our deficiencies and not maybe relating to the cultural context of when this was written. So I want to help make that clear. If you missed our main character who's come up besides Jesus, this was a guy named Jairus. And what we know about Jairus as a ruler in the synagogue is that what happens in this story should seem really shocking to us. So, so Jairus, if you, if you don't know this about what was happening, picture, picture the ruler of the synagogue, somebody with political prestige, religious prestige, cultural prestige, wearing their really nice long robes. And the way that they go about town is very stately. They would have walked slowly. I don't know if their hands would have been here. It just feels right to me. They would have walked carefully and they would have had an air about them of somebody who is in power. And what they wouldn't have ever been seen doing would be just running through the streets like children or like the lowly. They wouldn't have been doing something that would have looked as disgraceful as what he does here, which is fall on his face at the feet in the dirt of a man. He would have never done this. And yet, what you might have seen in this text is that's exactly what he did. This man's desperate for Jesus. Did you see why? Did did it make clear in verse 23? His little daughter is dying, and this account is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and what we learn in Luke is that this isn't just his little daughter, not that this makes it any, any better, but this is his only daughter. This man has one daughter, and she's dying. She's 12. She's almost to the age where she's to be married, and she's dying, and this man finds himself in a place of desperation. And maybe a, a second that would be worth you pausing for a second, if you want to just kind of do some self-reflection, would be... If you're somebody who who this is speaking to, if you're somebody who fights and wrestles with deep weights of shame and guilt, ask yourself, do you do something different before starting from this place of running to Jesus with desperation? Do you do one of these three things? Pastor Craig Grishel gives three real common things people do. He, He says that a lot of times what we do is, number one, we try out hopeless perfectionism. This is one that I try to do a lot of times. You find yourself plagued by an experience that is deeply shameful or you feel really guilty, and we decide, I'm going to work my way out of this by trying to strive for never making a mistake again, and I will be so flawless that I can avoid this. Maybe that's you. Is that, is that something you try? Or, or a second one is maybe you become a, a harsh critic, people who uh, are ashamed tend to have a real deep dislike of themselves. And that dislike of ourselves turns into us uh, seeing the world, and when we see someone who does something like that, we tend to get judgmental and angry. It's possible that some of the people you know in your life who are the most critical, do you know people who seem to just be criticizing everything about you or about their, their world? It's quite possible that this person maybe is starting from a place of just deep criticism towards their self and is really ashamed, and maybe that's something they, they battle with. A third, a third one that we tend to run to before we run to Jesus with desperation is just this 
helpless feeling of something like, I'm never going to make it through. I'm never going to pass this class. I'm never going to get that degree. I'm never going to get that promotion. I'm never going to be liked. I'm never going to amount to anything ever. I'm never going to be anybody. I'm the worst. I deserve the worst. And we start saying these helpless feelings to ourselves. And what you might have seen in this text is somebody who's actually not going to be the character we're going to spend time with, this guy Jairus. He immediately skips these things and runs to Jesus with desperation, and our next character is going to do the same thing. Before we get to that, I want to read just the first five words of the next verse. This man falls at his, on his face at the feet of Jesus, and then verse 24 says, and he, meaning Jesus, went with him. I love whenever English and when language is just easy for, for preaching, and here's one of those easy moments. You ready? I don't know if you caught what happened here. It says a lot about Jesus. This man falls at the face of Jesus, says, help me. There's a period and a space, and Jesus went with him. That was it. Did you see this? Jesus is surrounded. Did you see earlier? He's surrounded by crowds of people. He's in a teaching moment. He's busy, and one person runs to him with desperation, period, space, and Jesus comes and answers the call. That says something about the God that I worship, and I hope that you'll be encouraged by it. Let's go to the second thing we see. The second is that we are going to be called, and this one's hard, to run to Jesus from our hiding place. We're going to read verse 24 through 26. Look at this. And a great crowd followed him, and they thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. Now, what we just read in these verses is serious. This woman is sick. She is in pain, and it's probably a chronic thing here. She has some sort of menstrual or gynecological disease, is what we learn about in the book of Luke here, and she's hurting. And I want to stop for a sec, because if you maybe look at this text and find it a little uncomfortable for a second, or maybe if you look at this and say, I don't know if this is going to relate to me, Let me probably acknowledge it's possible without some context, we don't get what just now happened here. Let's make it really clear. The woman in this text right here isn't living in 2019 Illinois, where she's living because of the Levitical law in a Jewish society, because of the book of Leviticus, she is ceremonially unclean. Let me make that really clear what this means for this woman. Try and understand someone. Try try and understand her for a moment. This woman hasn't been allowed to go in public for 12 years. This woman hasn't been able to worship God with her fellow people in the synagogue for 12 years. They wouldn't have let her in the building. And this woman, I don't know if you caught this, did you see her financial situation that's going on? She spent everything she had on medical care and nothing helped. In fact, everything was getting worse. She was ashamed of who she was because of what everyone around her said she was. She stayed in a hiding place all by herself, has spent everything. She's in pain. And just to make sure it's really, really clear, what this would mean for this woman is that she's gone 12 years and no one's touched her. Nobody has shaken her hand. Nobody has held hands with her when she was hurting. Nobody said, come and put your head on my shoulder. Nobody has ever hugged this woman in 12 years. Nobody in a worship context got to do what we get to do at church today and and just lay a hand on somebody and pray for them. She's been completely and utterly 
alone. She's in this deep, dark hiding place here. And maybe at that point, you do start to understand this woman. Because I challenge you, go to the verses we just read. Anybody want to tell me what this lady's name was that we just read about? Who's this character that we just, we just saw? Anybody catch a name? The reason you don't see one is because it's not there. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, her name's never given. It's possible that they didn't know her name. It's possible that no one knew her name. And shame does this. And if you've experienced shame, shame makes us feel like I don't want to be seen by anyone. I'm not going to risk being in that situation or around those people. I'm going to stay right here where it's safe. Shame has a tendency to make us go into deep places of hiding, which actually ends up making it a whole lot worse. When you look at this, this person, I, I maybe before we even go to the, the, the rest of the story, I would just want to share with you from the beginning um, I don't know if this is like a pressure you feel. I'm from the, the Bible Belt, and this is a pressure I know that people down south feel a lot, and, and I would imagine you do too. Um, but just, just so we're clear, I literally do not care whether you are Jairus or this unnamed woman. What I mean is I do not personally care at all whether you're someone who in public or in church looks like you've got it all together or whether you're someone where we see you and we know you don't have it all together, right? I don't care about that because Jesus doesn't care about this here. This is why I love the local church in America. This is why I do what I do, because I'm, I'm heartbroken for how many of us uh, look like we have it all together, and deep down, we are haunted with stuff that God has for us. And I, I wanna remind you, regardless of maybe how you see yourself, before we go any further, Jesus didn't make an ex- a distinction here. And in, in fact, it's probably worth you letting me read to you what happens after this, when we, we finish verse 20, 26. Verse 27 brings us to this this third idea. It says, she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. This woman, just like Jairus, they ran to Jesus from desperation. She came out of her hiding place and she ran to Jesus with deep faithfulness here. Did you see in verse 27 and 28, in these couple of verses that we just now looked at, I don't know if you you caught it. This is all we knew about this woman's background. She had heard some stuff about Jesus. We don't know what she had heard about Jesus, but let me ask you a question for my church people, people who have been churchy for a long time. This one's for you. Based on what you read in these verses, do you get the sense that this woman has some real deep, robust theology and really good seminary training about who God is? Based on what you saw in those two verses, does that, that sound right to you? No, this woman somehow thinks that Jesus keeps his power in his cloak, right? She doesn't get it. This, this woman doesn't know great things, but this woman has great faith. Did, did you see that in this text? She's been in a great place of hiding for a long time. She doesn't know all the details and all the ins and outs of how church works, all this Jesus stuff. She doesn't get it all, but she has great faith. She's heard this guy can heal you, but she has tension. What was the tension? She can't go in public to see him. And did you see in these verses, it said that there were great crowds. It said that twice, and then it said they thronged about him. This woman has spent 12 years saying, I'm never going to go in public. You're never going to see this about me. I'm going to keep this hidden, what it is that she's suffering through for over a decade. And she knows there's a place where through faithfulness she can find healing, but it requires an action step from her that is intense and maybe an action step that you would consider today, just, just one of many for the morning, would be, if this is you, 
and you find yourself in a place of dark guilt and shame that you keep hidden, would you be willing to take an action step of running from a hiding place, running to Jesus, even being able to take stuff that's been dark and bring light to it? There's, there's some really good healing found in it. We're going we're gonna to go to verse 29, and you might be amazed by the same English thing that I found in here. You ready? Verse 29, and immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. We're going to do one of those easy English application things again. You ready? 27 and 28, this woman has come out of her hiding place. She has run to Jesus in desperation and in faithfulness, and she says, help me. She touches his cloak, and there's a period and a space, and immediately Jesus has healed this woman. I don't know if maybe your faithlessness, would you let me just say that? I'm not pointing at you. Let's go, let's be, be better with this. I don't know if maybe our faithful, faithlessness sometimes leads you and me to thinking, that can't happen right now. This is just gonna be my lot in life. I'm gonna be ashamed forever. I'm gonna live haunted by guilt and this weight and this darkness and this shame forever. And in our our faithlessness, we believe that. And this woman in her faithfulness knew a God who could save and heal her and she reached out to him and immediately she was healed. This is really, really good. We're gonna look at a fourth idea and this is probably the most important one for the morning. And this would be something for the rest of your life if this is your decision and your your goal to fight against being haunted by shame. Moment by moment, preach over yourself a true identity. And we're gonna see that as this story unfolds. This is gonna be a real beautiful, beautiful ending to this story. Let's start in verse 30. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and he said, who touched my garments? Now, I just want to ask you for a second, like, why did Jesus ask this question? Does any, is anyone convinced, based on whatever knowledge you have about God, that this same Jesus, who seems to have healed somebody almost on accident just now, right? Like, I know that it wasn't on accident, but it seems like it, you know? Anybody happen to believe that this same Jesus doesn't know who touched him? Any, anybody think that that's what's going on here? Why, why is Jesus asking this question, and you're right, those of you who shook your head, no, that wasn't it, you're right, we see that throughout Scripture. God is all-knowing, absolutely he knew this. I, I, just this last week, I was sitting on the patio. I walk into my house, and I see granola wrappers all over the floor. And my kids don't eat granola bars, and so I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, initially, I don't rule out Meredith, because she could have thrown wrappers on the floor. But then there's a bunch of them on the floor, so I started to think, it's probably not Meredith, okay? Summer, I hear her in the other room. She's practicing her Spanish. And my one-year-old is a baby, and I don't think that his thumbs can, can do this motion yet. And then my middle child, Michael, he's under the table. There's a wrapper right next to him, and I see some stuff all around the edges of his mouth, right? I think I haven't figured out what's going on here, and yet I ask the question, hey, who's been eating all the granola bars, right? That's that's the question we come with. What's the purpose of that, parents who have done the same thing? The the purpose of that is not because we don't know. The, The purpose of that is we're giving our child an opportunity to identify himself to identify herself and take a step of ownership right here. Jesus is doing this right here in this moment. He's saying, come from your hiding place and take an opportunity to take some ownership right here and right now for who you are, what you're looking for. We're gonna keep going verse by verse. Verse 31, and his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? I think Mark is so kind. This is so funny. If if you didn't know this, in in the other accounts of this, we know who this disciple is. Mark kept it vague, maybe to be sweet, but it was Peter. 
this guy Peter. And, and Peter asks this question, just a real dumb question. He just says, uh, Jesus, there's people all around you. Why are you asking who touched you? There's people all around you. And I was trying to come up with some really great application today for this verse. I wanted to go verse by verse, and this is all I came up with, was that sometimes church people say dumb stuff, right? Does that, that feel true? Peter said a really dumb thing just now, and Jesus ignores him. And so we go to verse 32. Here we go. Verse 32, and he looked around to see who had done it, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. My friends, I, I want to I draw your attention to what happened in these verses. There's only one verse left in this text before we finish, and there's big stuff happening here. This woman, uh, if you didn't see it, that remember our first step about running to Jesus with desperation, what Jairus does? Did you see anything casual about this woman who before Jesus is acknowledging her, her flaws and is coming for him to, for healing, did you see anything casual in her posture? Probably not. What, what you might have seen as you looked at this was this was a woman who knew her need for Jesus, was filled with faith for who he was, even though she didn't know enough. And she runs and falls on her face before him. There's nothing casual about people who desperately need Jesus. Let me give you some action or application steps of this. And I would beg you, especially my churchy friends, I beg you to consider what this might mean for you. If, for, for instance, the posture, it's not just physical, but your posture or my posture whenever we read God's word is real casual and we come to a place of, huh, the, the living word of God preserved through the ages, poured out by his spirit to speak to me today. Interesting. And we take a real casual thing. We, we read the Bible a little bit like this, a little, a little casually. We're missing something. There's a desperation that is missing in you and me whenever we read God's word just like this. If for you, your prayer time, if for me, my prayer time turns into this thing and we take it real casually and it becomes this whole, you know, the, the God who is dealing with world powers right now, who is seeing the world at large and redeeming it over the course of history for his purposes so he gets the most glory among all the nations and the billions of people. He's taking time to talk to me. And I keep my hands right here, and, and I take it real casually. Can I just let you know that you and I are missing it whenever we come from a point of casualness to worship God? Maybe it's in a church thing. Whenever, whenever we worship God through music and we proclaim these great truths about him, and we, we know that God is deserving of being magnified and lifted up, and, and, and we take it casually, and we do some karaoke stuff, and we just sing some words I think we're missing it. Maybe it's whenever the, the preaching of the word happens on a Sunday morning. I, I love that I get the opportunity to, to sit here on Sundays and Pastor Jared just regularly is just preaching God's word into my life and over my life and I'm so thankful for it. And if I am sitting here and I take this casually, that I'm getting the whole counsel of God's word living and active spoken to me and it's just this casual thing, I'm missing it. For God's people who are wanting to truly be changed, you're wanting to rub up and have this interaction with the living, most high God that changes our lives. There's nothing casual about this. This woman falls on her face before Jesus. And there's some application for you and for me that we wouldn't stay in a place of comfort. You wanna read a real pretty verse? Verse 34 says this. And he, Jesus, 
said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. For you and for me, uh, we are called to fight the root of our unbelief, okay? And the, the, sorry, the root of our shame, which is just in our unbelief. For, for, for you and me, our faithlessness in who God is and how he can redeem us today often leads us to a place of staying stuck and pitted and haunted by shame. I'm speaking to myself. And, and in these moments when you and I are so haunted by it, we, we do remember there's something we can learn in 2 Thessalonians 3. There actually is something good. God, God really does use sometimes a shame or a consequence that comes, a pain that comes on the other side of us dishonoring God, and he uses it for our good. And there's the reminder that sometimes for a moment, pain would be good for you and for me, but it ought not to linger there. And so as you and I start to look through this, I, I, would, I would maybe want to draw your attention to a real cool word that was used here that... The, the word daughter that you saw in your translation, um, Tim Keller says it should have been the word sweetheart. Um, I, don't, I don't know what the one is that would feel the, the best to you. This is a word Jesus has never used anywhere else in his recorded life. Jesus has never used this word before. I, I call my, my daughter Summer. I just say, Where, where's my, my sweet, smoochy summer love, right? I don't, I don't say that to you guys like, or just to a stranger that I meet. That's not a word that we just use whenever we're talking to someone. And Jesus uses this endearing term to this woman who has been publicly ashamed for over a decade. And he says, daughter, come to me. And he says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And here's maybe one of the final main ideas I would hope that you would recall, and that is this. Your past forgiveness produces a future peace. My past forgiveness produces a future peace. This woman has been forgiven and Jesus has set her free. And, and maybe I just want to recall, can I, can I just share some verses? I'm gonna, I want to just share some scripture, a few different verses. You can write them down and dwell on them later. And these are the ones that are going to like churn up in your soul. You'll be forced. You'll be saying, yeah, that's good. Amen. You like can't handle just listening to these verses because they're so good. Trust me, right? You're going to want to. Look at some of these verses about Jesus. Isaiah 55 Verse six and seven tells us something about our God. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. That's us, the wicked ones. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Friends, God forgives. He pardons. He shows compassion. Did you see those verbs in this? First John 1, 9 Oh, this is good. You, you need this, my friend. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God forgives. He cleanses. Did you see that there? Look at this. Acts 10, 43. To him, that's Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I invite you to live in this. Live in this truth that your past forgiveness, have, have you been forgiven by God? Our past forgiveness produces a future peace that you and I are to live into. And I want you to know that people put stuff on Jesus too. And so if you've heard sentences like you are, and then something right here, some predicate that 
that you've worn and you've clothed yourself in that you are sentence. People did this to Jesus. Uh, In Luke chapter seven, they said to Jesus, you are a drunkard, you are a glutton. He wasn't. In Mark chapter 14, they said, you are a temple destroyer. In Luke chapter 23, they said, you are a hypocrite. In Romans 3, they misrepresented him. They said, you are teaching people that it's okay, just keep on sinning. There's going to be enough grace for you. And maybe for you, you've had some real poor parenting in your life. Maybe you've had immature parents who have said things to you that you should have never heard. Maybe you've had some real poor friendships in your life, and you've had immature friends who have said things to you that you should have never heard before. Maybe for you, you've taken on some of these things that have been real weighty and people have been saying, saying these things to you. I want you to believe in this future truth. Would you want to write down two verses for you to cling to over the next week, over the next month? Cling to Isaiah 45, 17. Talking about God's people. But Israel is saved by the Lord with everlasting salvation. You, God's people, shall not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity. God doesn't want you in this place of shame. That's not what he has for you, my friend. If you're a follower of God, if you're one of God's people, that's what we're talking to here, you shall not be put to shame. That's not what he has for you. Romans 10, verse 11, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Let's examine some roots of faithlessness where we don't believe in God. We don't believe what he says for a moment. Because for those of us, when we truly do reach out to God and run to Jesus with faith, with faith, he doesn't have shame for us. That's not what he's got for us. And, and maybe here's a trick for you. I, 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 was, I was touched by this expression uh, a little over maybe 12, 13 years ago, and it would be this. Would you consider the invitation to embrace the accusations in your life? Would you, would you take this, uh, this invitation? If someone is saying, or it's in your own voice, in your own head, or someone has said to you, you're a bad person, I invite you to embrace that accusation because you, want, you, want to know you kind of are. You kind of are a bad person. I'm not being mean to you. It's, just, it's what we see in the Bible. You kind of are. Embrace that accusation for a moment. If maybe you've heard something like, hey, you're, you're not good enough, I invite you to embrace the accusation for a moment. And, and here's the truth. What I see in, in the Bible, you really aren't good enough. If maybe somebody said you're insignificant, you're unworthy, you're unworthy to call yourself a Christian, you're unworthy to call yourself a, a pastor, you're, you're unworthy, and, and they say some words to you that you hold on to, I invite you to in, embrace that accusation for a moment because there's some truth there. And here's, the, here's the, the beautiful, glorious hope that's found for people who know Jesus. We have options to choose how, how we're going to live in an identity. And you can try in 2019 to say, I am who I say I am. So it doesn't matter if I, if I tell you I'm a 93-year-old, crooked, uh, Vietnamese woman, right? That's okay. I can just say that. But you guys know the truth, right? I'm not. That's not me. You can choose to try and say your own identity and you'll miss it. You can choose to try and listen to the identity of some foolish parent, some foolish friend, some foolish coworker, somebody who has said some things, and maybe it's just their own voices that are coming into your head. 
and you can choose to live in that identity and you'll miss it. But if you are one of God's people, can I just remind you, who you are is who he says you are. And what that means is you're a child of God. You're a child adopted as a son or daughter of the most high living God, perfect in all of his ways, and he has bought you with a price. He has brought you from death into life. He takes away all old things, and behold, the new is made. Isn't this good who God is, right? You and I can choose to preach to ourselves this identity that I'm no good. I am everything that little Timmy says I am. I'm everything that the voice in my head says that I am. And we could try that. And it'll probably lead you to another 12 years in a hiding place. And Christians, I invite you, embrace the fact that, you know what? I'm not good enough. But I serve a most high God who is, right? I'm not worthy. You're right, I'm embracing that. But I serve a most high God who is. I feel insignificant, and I'm gonna embrace that. It's it's true, But I serve a most high God who is much more significant than whatever it is that little Timmy is talking about in this moment, right? Does that make sense? For you, my friends, I invite you today to recall just an identity that is worth preaching over yourself moment by moment. You are not who anyone else says you are. You are who God says you are. You are a child of God, if that is you. And live in that. Live in that peace. You can can put your Bibles away. We're gonna be responding in a second. Uh, If you're a PBC person, I want to ask you a real blunt question. Would you let me do that? Would you, would you let me just ask you a question that's not meant to be rhetorical? I don't know that you need to answer it out loud, but I would ask you to answer this question on your own. For you, are you the kind of person to where if somebody has been hiding something that they feel guilty of or ashamed of for 12 years, that you would be a safe place for them to be able to come to you free of judgment and be able to hear hear their story, and remind them who Jesus is? Would, would you be a person able to do that? Would you answer that question, though, on your own? And, and if that's not you, if you find yourself maybe just quick to be a critic, quick to point out the flaw in other people, quick to judge, would, would, would you let me ask you today, maybe your action steps just to repent of that and ask God to change that for you? That, that's not what our church is. At PBC, it's okay to not be okay. And if you're not okay, you're welcome here because we're not either.